The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. We're live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Today, Brett Kavanaugh heard his first oral arguments as a Supreme Court justice, taking his seat on the far right of the bench as a junior justice after a long and contentious confirmation process. At a White House ceremony last night, Kavanaugh promised to serve on the court without animosity over the confirmation process. Mr. President, thank you for the great honor of appointing me to serve as a justice of the Supreme Court. Joining me is Greg Storr, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter who was there for those first oral arguments. Greg, I understand there were lines outside the courthouse this morning. What was it like inside the court for Kavanaugh's first oral arguments? You know, uh, June, it was remarkably light. It was almost, there was almost an air of frivolity to the argument. Um, not especially huge cases they have to do with sentencing for federal gun crimes, um, but there were plenty of jokes. That the session started off with, uh, right before the argument, Justice Lena Kagan was, was uh, quietly joking with uh, new Justice Kavanaugh, and then later on in the argument, there was a moment where Justice Sonia Sotomayor appeared to playfully pinch Justice Neil Gorsuch, um, to demonstrate a point, a, a question she was asking about the reach of this federal statute. Uh, no disruptions in the courtroom, uh, you know, no, no signs uh, for those couple hours that there had been this incredibly contentious fight. Do you believe that this was deliberate on the part of the justices, this very lightheartedness? I, I do. It, it's hard for it not to be. And, you know, certainly, uh, I mentioned Justice Kagan. She is somebody who's very much of a coalition builder. She's somebody who uh, cares an awful lot about having good relations with, with her colleagues, including the ones who don't agree with her, because she knows she might need their votes in, in, in some cases. So it wasn't surprising to see her being very friendly towards Justice Kavanaugh. And I think, you know, it, all the members of the court would like to be able to take a deep breath and, and you know, stay out of this political fray and just focus on, uh, you, know, bi- you know, going about business as, as normal. And, and that was you know, essentially what they were trying to do today. Judge Kavanaugh was known as an act, or I should say Justice Kavanaugh, was known as an active questioner on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Did he ask many questions today? Yeah, he, he, 
he did. Um, he asked, I believe, a total of eight questions in the two one-hour arguments. Um, in the first case, he asked questions of both sides. In the second case, just uh, asking questions of the, the lawyer for the, the defendant in the case. Um, he, he was focusing, among other things, on uh, a key precedent about the reach of this federal law. In the first case, asking both sides, how do you square your argument with what we said and what the Supreme Court said in, in this 2010 case? Uh, he, he had definitely done his homework before the argument. Talking about precedent, okay. Now, tell us about his duties as the junior justice. Yeah, so as you mentioned, he sits at the far end of the bench. Everything at the Supreme Court uh, is done uh, on the basis of seniority. He's the most junior, so he's sitting in the most junior spot on the bench. They're going to have a private conference later this week where they'll, they'll talk about pending cases. When they talk about a case, he'll be the last justice to speak uh, uh, in that discussion. Uh, and then there's this duty that the junior justice always has when they're in that conference room, and it's just the nine of them. Whenever anybody you know, comes to the door to deliver something or... or uh, pick something up. Uh, it's the junior justice who has to get up out of his or her chair and answer the door, um, and then you know pass on to some other justice whatever was was delivered. Uh, justice uh, Stephen Breyer had to do that for more than eleven years, and uh, Justice Kavanaugh will will start doing it today. And Judge Neil Gorsuch only had to do it for about a year, so <laughs> there's no fairness there. Now, what cases are coming up that might draw more attention from the public and put more attention on? Kavanaugh. Yes, yeah, so so this term, uh, the, the cases they've granted are almost uniformly pretty low-profile things. One interesting case they have granted, haven't scheduled an argument yet, could be December, is a case that could affect Donald Trump's pardoning power and the reach of it. It has to do with the double jeopardy clause, and essentially what it could mean is that a Trump pardon would also knock out some state law crimes that, that a person may have been involved in. Um, so, so that's one to watch. And then later on in the term, maybe next year, the court could get back into the fray on partisan gerrymandering. They could take up a case on federal job discrimination and whether the, the ban on job discrimination includes uh, discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. And they could have a case involving the DACA fight, the, uh, the Obama policy that deferred deportation for some, some young immigrants, and, and President Trump is trying to rescind that. Uh, that's an issue they could, could take up. And then, of course, there's the Mueller investigation. There are issues that uh, could come from that that could be huge deal here at the court uh, early next year. At Princeton University last Friday, Justices Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor admitted they're concerned about a public perception that the court is being politicized. Will there be pressure on Kavanaugh to recuse himself in some of those cases that you mentioned that involve President Trump or things that might apply to possible impeachment proceedings? There certainly will be pressure, but there's no requirement. Um, it, it, it's clear that justice has, has to recuse if, if he or she has a financial interest in a case. But when we're talking about the appearance of a, a conflict because you, you know, may have said something in the past about an issue or a litigant, uh, justices have broad discretion, and they rarely do recuse themselves. themselves. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg has not recused herself, even though she called Donald Trump a faker. She hasn't recused herself from any Trump-related cases. Antonin Scalia didn't recuse in cases involved in a case involving Vice President Cheney, even though the two of them went hunting together. Uh, it's really, really rare for a justice to recuse for that sort of a reason, and I would be very surprised if Justice Kavanaugh did uh, either. Only 30 seconds here, Greg. I have one last question. Did Justice Roberts say anything? Was there any acknowledgment of Kavanaugh? 
Yes, he, he acknowledged uh, Justice Kavanaugh. He uh, said uh, he wished him a long and happy career in our common calling. Pretty much standard language he uses whenever somebody new joins the court. All right, thanks so much. That's Greg Storr, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter. We're live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Over the summer, President Trump announced that White House counsel Don McGahn would be stepping down from his role after the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. At the time, Trump speculated about what McGahn might do next. He'll be moving on probably uh, the private sector, maybe the private sector, and he'll do very well. But he's, uh, he's done an excellent job. Joining me is Alberto Gonzalez, former U.S. Attorney General and White House Counsel. He is Dean of the Belmont University School of Law. Thanks for joining us, Judge. Hello, how are you doing? Okay, well, let's start with your assessment of the job Don McGahn has done in the job that you once occupied when George W. Bush was president. Uh, I think by most measures, and certainly by the words of the president, he's done a good job. Uh, although much of, I have to tell you that much of the work of the council goes unnoticed. It's unspoken about. Um, and most councils would say, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be in the news. The work of the council, unlike the work of the attorney general, generally your staffer. And uh, the, the publicity and the, and the good works of the president come first, and the things that you do generally are not publicized. But I think as a general matter, uh, Don McGahn is praised primarily for uh, his work in getting the, uh, the president's nominees confirmed, uh, not only to the Supreme Court, but also to the lower courts. And I think um, that will cement President Trump's legacy for at least several generations. He is seen as one of the architects of Trump's success in that area. I want to go into just a little bit about the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation, because according to the New York Times, McGahn made sure that some relevant questions were not explored in the FBI investigation of Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, because of, quote, potentially disastrous for Kavanaugh's chances of confirmation. Was that outside his legal authority as White House counsel? No, um, it would be, have been perfectly appropriate for the White House, and as a general matter, would come through the White House counsel to um, give parameters to the FBI in terms of the, the, the breadth of their examination. Uh, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, particularly if you're operating under a um, strict time frame. So I would say no. Now, there obviously there can be political consequences to giving that kind of direction. And I don't know exactly what happened, what was said, what the direction was, but uh, obviously some uh, political opponents might claim that um, the direction given by the White House made it would have made it more difficult to uncover anything that would have been negative about Brett Kavanaugh, but as to whether or not that happened and who was ultimately responsible, you know, I, I just have no idea. Turning now to Robert Mueller's investigation, McGahn met with special counsel Robert Mueller's team for some 30 hours in the Russia investigation, which caused more of a rift with Trump. Was he required to do so, and were there any restrictions on what he could say? Uh, was he required? I would say probably required. Uh, uh, if you're talking about personal conduct, uh, personal wrongdoing by the president, uh, yes, uh, Don McGahn. It, Don McGahn is not the lawyer for Donald Trump. Don McGahn is a government lawyer. And therefore, yes, he would be expected to come to cooperate with the special prosecutor. When I was White House counsel, we had an investigation in connection with the Valerie Plame investigation. 
And um, uh, I told President Bush I was not his lawyer. I helped him get a private lawyer. And when I was asked by the special counsel, Pat Fitzgerald, to provide information, I voluntarily, you know, sat before the grand jury. Again, because I, I don't represent, I don't, the counsel does not represent the president. And you're a government lawyer, and as a government lawyer, you have an obligation to cooperate fully with the investigation by the Department of Justice. Trump has indicated several times that he sees the FBI and the Justice Department as working for him. Do you think he understands the concepts of no attorney-client privilege when he's talking to Don McGahn? I don't know whether or not he understands he understands uh, the limits of privilege. Obviously, he's not a lawyer. One of the first things that I did when I became White House counsel uh, in dealing with a non-lawyer president in George W. Bush is we would have these kind of conversations about about legal issues, the legal authorities of the president, legal protections of the president. We talk about the kind of you know judicial philosophy uh, that he might think about in connection with making appointments. So um, one of the responsibilities, I think, of a White, White House counsel, a good one, is to have these kind of conversations with the president uh, as an initial matter so that there's no misunderstanding about the scope of privilege or protections that a president might uh, have with respect to his both official and unofficial conduct. Can you explain, as White House counsel, at some points you may be giving advice that the president doesn't want to hear. Do you have to keep a certain good working relationship with the president or, or you know, you should leave the post? Well, obviously a good working relationship is important. It makes you more effective, but you have an obligation to be truthful and and uh, be complete in your advice to the president. And yes, there are times when I had to say, Mr. President, that's, you know, we, we don't believe you have the legal authority to do this. Now, as a, uh, as a legal matter, as a constitutional matter, the president's head of the executive branch can override the advice of the council, can override the advice of the attorney general, and make a decision as to what is the legal position for the, for the executive branch. Now, there are serious political consequences in doing so. Uh, as a general matter, you want the President of the United States following the advice of the council and certainly following the advice of the Attorney General because it is when, when that decision is made by the President and that decision is challenged, it will be the Attorney General and the Department of Justice that defends the President's actions in the courts. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Judge. That's Alberto Gonzalez, former U.S. Attorney General and White House Counsel. He is now Dean of the Belmont University School of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how 
at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein. It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce.